And I've, I've, I've heard about this sermon series you guys got going on here. Wow. The seven churches of Revelation. All I got to say is this is an awesome sermon series. You are all in a great church that's willing to talk about these things. I say that because a lot of times these messages that Jesus gave to these seven churches is overlooked. Because Jesus starts to call out those things in the churches that are lacking. And how many know that's not a popular subject? How many know it's never popular when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, can I tell you what's lacking in your life? People don't want to hear that. But you know, we have a God that loves us enough to tell us what we need. And today I have the privilege of speaking on what Jesus says to a dead church. Not my words. And it's called the Church of Sardis. This is the fifth church of the seven that Jesus addresses. And Jesus was addressing this church because it was dead. It was at a dead end. As a matter of fact, he calls it a dead church. He says, this I have against you, you're dead. Now with a lot of the other churches, the ones prior to this, you know, Jesus started with compliments. I like that you do this. I love the way you do this. And then he kind of went into what they needed. But with the church of Sardis, there was no positive to talk about up front. He said, let me just get to the point. You're dead. I started thinking like, wow, Jesus, I, why, why are you so mean to this church? Isn't Jesus supposed to be loving? Isn't Jesus supposed to be all positive? Isn't Jesus supposed to just tell you all the great things that you do? I would say, I hope. But here he's telling us, sometimes he has to get right to the point with us, right, church? Sometimes he just has to tell us like it is. And I'm talking about individually. I'm talking about as a church. So I pray you receive this with an open heart. Because the reason he's telling us and telling the church of Sardis this is because he has hope that they would change. Today, likewise, we're going to talk together about what to do in your life when maybe you feel like you're dead. Or when you feel like you're at a dead end. Has anybody ever felt like that? Like, gosh, I feel so, like there's no life left in me. Like, what is, I have nothing left to give God. And this is our sermon scripture for today in Revelations chapter 3, verse 1, if you brought your Bibles. Revelations chapter 3, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge 
that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do we got ears in this church? Are we ready to hear what Jesus has to say? Jesus is basically saying, you all got ears, so you need to hear what I have to say. And he's telling the church this. And just to bring some understanding, and, and maybe this was already explained, but for those of you that are new here today, or for those of you online that maybe haven't heard the prior sermons, when he says the seven spirits of God, what does he mean? The seven spirits of God are a symbol for the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Specifically, the sevenfold expressions of the Holy Spirit spoken of in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. This is the very essence of the church. It should be the Holy Spirit. The very essence of the church should be the Spirit working in it. What does he talk about when he says the seven stars? Symbol for the messengers of God. Now some theologians, they say, no, it represents the angels that are assigned to those seven churches. And I started thinking, isn't that cool that God has angels assigned over his churches? Why does he have angels assigned to the churches? For spiritual warfare, church. To fight on our behalf as a church. Because the enemy does not like a church. That's powerful. Some theologians believe that those seven stars represent the pastors of those churches. Regardless of whether it's the angel or the pastors, whoever's giving the message, either way, no, it's God giving the message through those messengers. And the overall message Jesus gives this church at Sardis is don't give up and wake up. Don't give up Say it with me. Don't give up and wake up. Some of you need to wake up. Don't give up and wake up. Some people are probably startled because they're taking a nap. You know, that's what Jesus is concerned about for this church. He tells them twice in that scripture, wake up, wake up. He's trying to get their attention. Maybe today Jesus is trying to get somebody's attention in here. Maybe Jesus is trying to get your attention. You know, it's not enough just to come to church. We have to be alert and ready to receive what Jesus has. They had fallen asleep, and Jesus was trying to warn them. He wanted the church in Sardis to come to life because, like he said, they were dead. He was telling them, wake up. Get up. Have you ever felt like that? Like, man, I need to get out of this rut. I feel like I'm in this dream, and I can't get out of this nightmare. Maybe you call it a dream. Maybe you call it a nightmare. I don't know. The reality is, is they had died as a church. There was no more fire there. Does that sound like anybody today? Maybe you used to have fire when you came to church. Maybe you were on fire, and now you've lost the fire. And what is Jesus' message? Wake up! Tonight, we're going to look at how something that is dead can be revitalized. And isn't that the good news? 
He doesn't say, you're dead, there's no hope, I shouldn't even. If, if there was no hope, he wouldn't be addressing them. You know why he's addressing them? Because there's still hope, even though they're dead. Because Jesus can bring back the dead. Amen? You think there's something dead in your life? Maybe your faith is dead? Well, Jesus can bring it back. Excuse me. Maybe your faith needs to come back to life. Maybe your joy needs to come back to life. Maybe there's something that's called personal growth that needs to come back to life. You actually were growing in the Lord. You were actually taking notes at church. But you stopped that 10 years ago. Maybe you used to wake up and study. But you stopped that, I don't know how long ago. You've heard all the messages. You've heard all the sermons. I don't need to read the Bible. I've already read it three times through. And you've stopped growing. Is that how you think? See, Jesus wants us to always grow. To always learn. Because I'll tell you what, every time you open the Bible, you could be reading the same scripture, but it's Jesus' different message for your life at that time. It's never the same. Maybe it's your marriage that needs to come back to life. Maybe there's some marriages that are dead. And Jesus is saying, wake up. I want to bring your marriage back to life. Maybe your ministry. Maybe the way you felt going to ministry is dead. Well, the first thing we need to do to address this is pray. And our first point is this prayer. Lord, help me to see the gaps in my life. <coughs> Excuse me. Help me to see the gaps between what's dead and what's alive. Help me to see these things. You know, because Jesus knows our gaps, church. We can't fool God. He knows what's lacking in our lives. He knows where we're strong, but then he knows where, my gosh, they need help. You see, it's kind of like churchianity versus Christianity. Churchianity is what everybody sees. Oh, man, that guy's on fire. Christianity is, God, my heart. You, you know what's in my heart. And I need, I need to check this. I need your help to cleanse this. See, Jesus knows the difference between churchianity and Christianity. This is what he says. I know your deeds, that you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. In this church at Sardis, he tells them, I know the difference between your reputation and reality. Between what people say or think about you versus what I know about you. Man, that's scary as it is, right, church? If we're honest. <clears throat> My goodness, thank God for his grace. Because if people knew what really was going on inside of here and here, whoo. That's why I love New Harvest Christian Fellowship, because you can make altar calls at the end of every service, because you can lay it down before God. This is really where the change happens. 
And if you haven't made an altar call, let your first day be today. I'm serious. You'll, you'll never, you'll, you'll love it. Now, many people looked at this church of Sardis as they're a respectable church. They're a great church. They do a lot for the community. They are awesome. But he, he was not concerned about the reputation. He was more concerned about the fact that life had left the church. It didn't have any energy left. It didn't have any spiritual growth left. Jesus is very blunt about this. And I'm not trying to be down and, and, and make this a, a downer sermon, but I'm going to tell you this is the sermon that Jesus gave to the church. And, and the awesome thing about these seven churches is it's relevant for today, for all churches. All those seven churches encompass what goes on across all the churches of the world. <coughs> Excuse me. He tells them you're dead. Imagine if somebody walked up to you and said, man, you're dead. You're dead to me. Is that a compliment? How do you feel after somebody tells you that? What's their problem? I don't ever want to talk to that person again. They don't know me. But here Jesus knows the church. And he can tell us. And why was he saying that? Because he wanted them to see the gaps in their life. He was trying to get their attention. He wanted them to start gauging their faith. And he wants us to do the same. It's called self-evaluation. Self-evaluation. Well, pastor, I've never read a scripture like that where it says you have to self-evaluate. I just wait for God to show me. Yeah, God will show you things. But did you know sometimes God wants you to find out yourself? Where is that scripture? Lamentations chapter 3 verse 4. Jeremiah. Let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn again in repentance to the Lord. There it is. We need to check ourselves every day. God, what's wrong with me? Why do I not feel on fire? God, why do I not feel life? God, what is missing in my life? What have I stopped or what have I started that I shouldn't have? Do we self-evaluate, church? He's telling us, you want to come back to life, you got to self-evaluate. Self-evaluation isn't always a pleasant thing, but it's a good thing. It shows us how far we are from where we need to be. Because sometimes it's not until you give things thought that you then really realize, like, oh, wow, you know what? I never thought about that. I shouldn't, yeah, I should... Do this. And it reminds us of what we can grow to become. It reminds us what God can do in our lives. And it reminds us that we need God to get to that place where you used to be or maybe get to that place where you know you need to be. Jesus writes to this church and says, I want you to see the gaps between your reputation and what really is going on. And what are some of those gaps, church? What are some of those gaps in our life? You know, only you know, and God knows. But are you willing to self-evaluate? Are you willing to stop and look at your life and say, if I were to be one of these churches, which one would I be? 
Who would Jesus be talking to me? Which church would I be in if Jesus was talking to those churches and I was in one of those churches? Which one would it be? Ask yourself that. And here's a couple examples of what some of those gaps are. We're going to look at two of them. The gap between what you say and the gap between what you do. For example, oh, I love the Lord, Pastor. It's me and Jesus all the way to the rims fall off. But yet you still love the things of this world more. You still love all that music that talks garbage. You still love the things that this world has to offer. Oh, no, but I love Jesus. See, God knows the gaps between what we say and what we actually do. Some, some are like, oh, no, I'm, I'm Jesus' you know, hardcore disciple right here. Down for Christ. I'm a disciple of Christ. But yet there's no discipline in your life. Did you know the word disciple comes from the root word discipline? Which means there has to be disciplines in your life. I mean, and I know that's not fun. I know this is probably not going to be one of your favorite sermons. But the reality is, disciplining is never fun. How many of you would be like, oh, I can't wait till my mom and dad come home and discipline me? I'm so excited. I want to see what disciplines they have for me today. <clears throat> Nobody likes discipline. But yet that's what's required to be a disciple. Do we have discipline in our reading of the word? Do we read every day, this time to this time, this day I do this, this day? Do, do you have discipline in your, in your fasting? Do you have discipline in, in oh, no, I, will, I won't miss church. I'm disciplined. I'm going to be there no matter what. Or do you just call yourself a disciple, but you have no discipline in your life when it comes to reading? You have no discipline in your life when it comes to praying. The difference between what we say and what we do. These are those gaps we're talking about. Another gap area is the gap between your values and your actions. You know, many Christians struggle with this. Because they say and they truly believe, oh, no, I truly believe in ministry and I, I want to be involved in ministry. But you make no time to be in ministry. Or, oh, no, I love being in ministry. Ministry is awesome. It's a, it's a pleasure. It's a privilege. But you never go to prayer before your ministry. The difference between what you say and what you do. Some value integrity. Oh, no, I'm, I'm the most, you know, per, you know, the highest integrity person in this place. You know, I believe in right and wrong, and, but yet you cut corners at work, in the store, on your taxes. Don't throw tomatoes at me. Or you say, I really value purity. Oh, no, it's... Purity all the way, but you're filling your mind with filth. You're filling your mind with filth. Or maybe it's forgiveness that you have an issue with. There's a gap in your forgiveness. You know, I can forgive anybody, but that person I will never forgive. I know Jesus said to forgive, but I can't forgive this person. There's a gap between what you say and what you do. And I'm not saying this is easy. Remember, I started off by that. Discipline is not easy. Please don't interpret this message as easy. This message is needed. 
which is why Jesus was telling the church, look, wake up. Let me get to the point. Your time is running out. You see, only when we acknowledge these gaps in our lives can God begin to fill those gaps. If we don't acknowledge the gaps in our own life, there's no way God can fill them. Here's the second point. Lord, help us see the gaps in our lives and help us to close those gaps in our lives. Here's how Jesus says we can do it. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 2 to 3, he states, Wake up! First thing he says, Wake up! Strengthen what remains. Remember what you have heard and received. Obey it and repent. If you don't wake up, I'm going to come like a thief. The first thing he says is wake up. And to give a little context to that, because we know what wake up means, but for them, it meant something totally different. Let me tell you why. Because the church of Sardis was about 1,500 feet above the, pla the, the plain level. It was 1,500 feet. And so there was only one narrow path up to the city. It was well guarded. They thought they were impenetrable. But only two times in history was it defeated. And that was by the Persians and the Greeks. And you know why it was taken those both times? Because those two times, dedicated soldiers from the Persian army and the Greek army at different times, they started spying and seeing how the citizens would go up the cliffs to take shortcuts on the side, in the back. So that's what they did. They waited for it to get dark. And while everybody was asleep, they attacked both times. In the dark. And this is why Sardis was convinced, okay, he's probably trying to tell us something. Because he keeps saying, wake up. And we know we got defeated twice when we were asleep. We were attacked. You see, what Jesus is trying to say is, I'm trying to warn you, if you don't wake up, you're going to fall under attack. Church, he loves you. This is why he's telling us, wake up. Not because he's trying to get on your bad side or because he's trying to criticize you. Because he loves you. He's saying if you're not awake, the devil's going to come and take you out. Wake up. It was urgent. That's why he didn't spend time with compliments in the beginning. It was urgent. Maybe for somebody here, you feel the alarm clock going off. I think I need to wake up. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit telling you, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you, brother. I'm talking to you, sister. And it doesn't matter how long you've been coming to church. This could be your first day, or you could have been born and raised in this church as a church kid, and now you're 30, 40, 50. I don't care. He could be waking us up right now. See, when Jesus said, wake up to this city, they're like, oh, we know what he means. Mm, you're going there, huh, Jesus? Wake up, huh? They were triggered. They were taken back to that place like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, we woke up and we were under attack. You see, this city and the church in it are a perfect example of overconfidence and arrogance that could take place in our life when we think, oh, there's no way. There's no way the devil will attack me. I've been coming to this church for 10 years. There's no way. I've already read the Bible four times. There's no way. I go to church every Sunday. But Jesus is like, yeah, but there's some gaps. And I need to be in those gaps. I need to close those gaps. 
wake up. You see, this church, like the other churches, it didn't have the other problems the other churches had. The other churches had problems like false teachers, false prophets. They were suffering persecution. One of the churches, it was taught, they even called it the, the city that it was in as the throne of Satan was there. It can't get any worse than that. But this church, he condemns it by saying, wake up because you've grown complacent. Your faith has gotten flabby. Now, for us, our faith can also grow flabby if we're not careful. Maybe we're not experiencing as many trials. Maybe we're not experiencing the persecutions we've gone through before in the past. And this ease of our relationship with Christ, we enjoyed it, and we've started to grow weak and flabby. But Jesus' response is, wake up. I still want to work in your life. Don't let your spiritual muscles deteriorate. He says, you have not completed the work I have for you. Did you know that a lot of Christians, they get saved, they get on fire, they start things, and then they stop. And God's like, hey, what are you doing? I haven't finished. You're not done. I'm not done. Come on, wake up. Maybe you were discouraged, and that's why you stopped. By this time that the letter was written, the city, by the way, was no longer as strong. It actually became a pleasure city, kind of like Las Vegas, you know, a lot of lights, a lot of glamour, a lot of activity, a lot of pleasure, but no purpose. You know, likewise, that can happen to us. We want pleasure. We don't want purpose. Where's the church barbecue at? When's the next concert? But we don't want purpose for our life that you find in prayer in the prayer room. That you find in the morning when you wake up, when nobody's looking and your phone is off. We don't want that purpose. That's too hard. But give us the fun. That's what had happened to this church. It became a pleasure church. They became comfortable in the ease of it. And I'm not talking about sinful pleasure. I'm just talking about let's go have fun. Let's just go have fun, church. You look more forward to what's happening after church than what's happening in church. Some of you right now are texting each other, hey, where are we going to go eat after? <laughs> You're more interested in what's going to happen after than what's going on right now. Pleasure versus purpose. You know, when you lose purpose in Christianity, that's when you begin to die. This church had lost its purpose. It gained a reputation when it had a purpose, but it had lost it. And now Jesus is saying, what happened to your purpose? So my question is, when is your life going to be more about purpose, church? You know, this month at New Harvest Anaheim, our series topic is focusing on big purpose. And here Jesus is saying, I have a big purpose for you, Sardis. I have a big purpose for you, New Harvest. So wake up, wake up. He says, I'm coming like a thief, so be ready. I may come back when you least expect it. And he wants us to wake up so we can change things. For example, there might be some dissatisfaction right now in your life. Maybe in your marriage there's dissatisfaction, and if you don't wake up, your marriage is going to die. 
Maybe you slacked in your commitment to the Lord and you started to enjoy some worldly pleasures like some ungodly music. A little alcohol here and there. Some recreational drugs here and there. But it's legal now. Have you started to enjoy those worldly pleasures more than the purpose God has for you? Because you can enjoy the purpose God gives you, by the way. It's a very awesome thing to be in the purpose and the will of God. So what area in your life do you need to wake up in? I don't know. Self-evaluate. And when we hit this altar, lay it before the Lord. Our scripture text in Revelations 3, 4 through 6 says, You have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, are now in this world, will, like them in the next world, be dressed in white. I will never blot his name out of the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. When he says, you will overcome to these church members, you know what he's saying is you're going to be victorious, not you might be victorious. Here's the good part. We will overcome, church. You don't have to stay dead. You will overcome if you ask God, wake me. Help me to see those gaps, God. Where do you want me? And he's going to say, yeah, now you're going to overcome. Now you're going to get through this. Maybe you have addictions that you're struggling with. You know, you can overcome them through Christ. Don't settle for your addiction. Let God get you out of the addiction. When the church was instituted, Jesus said to, to the church through Peter, he says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. That's my alarm. <laughs> Almost done. <laughs> he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The church will not be overcome by hell. You do not need to fear the devil. You do not need to fear hell. You have to understand we are on the right side. We are on the winning side. We are on the side of the one who defeated and crushed Satan. You will overcome. But wake up. The church will not be overcome by hell and all it has to throw at us, church. And the promise of this overcomer in you and in me is given to all the seven churches. And in every church, he repeats it, he repeats it, he repeats it. Revelation 2.7, to him who overcomes, I am going to give to you to eat from the tree of life. Revelation 2.11, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Revelation 7:26 He who overcomes and does my will to the end I will give authority over the nations. If you are God's child you are meant to overcome. You are not meant to die. That's what God says about you. You're an overcomer. So wake up. You know I may struggle in this world but I'm going to overcome. Right? That's how we got to believe. That's how we have to think. I may go through things, but I'm going to overcome. 1 John 5, 4, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. 
Are you born of God today, church? Then you can overcome the world. Our prayer needs to be, Lord, help me to see the gaps. Lord, help me to close those gaps.